This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, June 24, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. A new currency launched by Facebook and a consortium of other big tech and financial firms would have an instantaneously large user base and would fix some of the perceived problems with cryptocurrencies today. But even those benefits don't come without costs. Cato's Diego Zuluaga comments. Libra is a cryptocurrency announced by Facebook But at some point, of course, Facebook will not be in control of it. It will be this 20-company consortium that that has come together to to run it. And my first thought was, well, there's a human operator here that is not software, right? There's a group of companies that has some measure, some lever that they can pull with respect to this cryptocurrency. And I thought, well, for people who've been involved in crypto for a long time, that wouldn't be a red flag, wouldn't it? I think to some people, it does raise the question of whether this is a cryptocurrency at all. Because the way it's been marketed, as you say, is that this begins as a partnership of large, primarily tech, but generally large uh, payments and tech firms uh, to provide a payment solution that will work globally. Uh, But the idea is to expand the membership steadily and to decentralize, quote unquote, uh, control of the software over time, but quite how they will do it and evolve towards something that looks more like Bitcoin and is open access in in crypto parlance, a permissionless rather than a permissioned ledger of transactions uh, is unclear. And from the text that I've seen uh, of the, from the documents that were released as part of the Libra announcement, uh, I cannot tell you exactly what the mechanics of that uh, will be. So this is an intermediated system. And cryptocurrency may be a useful marketing term, although I think in a lot of policymakers' minds, it raises questions of risk as much as it does of promise. Um, but it is um, it, it is different from Bitcoin and Ethereum and a lot of and, and, and other of the among the long-standing cryptocurrencies. And notably, both Mastercard and Visa are involved. Is there a sense uh, between those two companies, those people that you know process you know millions, tens of millions of transactions uh, every so often, uh, that they're not going to be getting by on? 25 cents per transaction fees that they, they've been collecting for a long time? I think they're involved because they want to find out what this is about and they think it's exciting. And for a long time, they've wanted, I think, to be more involved in the cryptocurrency uh, field, uh, but didn't want to be involved in permissionless ones. And so this is an opportunity to join a major network of other people that are working on the technology and to potentially bring this technology to the merchants that use Visa and MasterCard terminals. I think the major uh, business proposition of Libra is the fact that you have about 3 billion users Uh, as a potential user base from the companies that are involved. Among the 20 members, 28 members, I think they are, uh, in this effort are Facebook, 2.4 billion users, Uber, several hundred million, uh, Lyft, another tens of or hundreds of of million users, Um, Visa and MasterCard, which, as you say, intermediate most of uh, global card payments, uh, and various others, Booking.com. The idea is to make it as attractive as possible for any individual user to use Libra because so many others will also have access uh, to this. And that's how networks 
make themselves useful. Is part of the fact that there are these 20 large uh, big tech firms that are involved in this, is part of that the reason for getting all those groups behind it at once is that maybe the US Treasury and the Federal Reserve might not care for this kind of uh, payment system? I think the claims that this could swiftly uh, end the role of central banks are overblown. Because when you think about it, abstract away from the fact that Facebook is involved, which is a very politically charged term, of course, uh, at this particular period in time, and also that the word cryptocurrency is being paraded about. And what you're left with is a payments innovation, an effort by people who connect a lot of other people around the world in a borderless way, and a lot of those people don't have bank accounts or even mobile money accounts, but they do have smartphones, uh, to connect those to some workable payment system that is relatively low transaction cost. That, to me, is the visible value proposition of this at the moment. Now, keep in mind that wherever you are located in the world, you will still be liable for taxes in the domestic sovereign currency of the jurisdiction where you reside. So if you want to wean yourself off entirely from fiat currency, uh, I don't think that Libra will be the way to do so. However, if you conduct a lot of your economic activity and purchasing online and you use ride-sharing platforms and you use internet platforms to spend a lot of your money, the question does arise of the extent to which you would want to convert all of the Libra you hold into individual national currencies. You might want to hold a permanent balance because so much of your economic activity happens uh, in Libra and the transaction cost would be lower. So I think the, the competition element is significant, particularly in jurisdictions that will have currencies that are not comparably stable to the US dollar or the euro or For uh, other cryptocurrencies, perhaps you may say real cryptocurrencies um, like Bitcoin and others, uh, they can't accommodate as many transactions uh, per second as Libra will be able to from the get-go. How does this change the equation for them? So there are two elements here. The first one is that Libra's is a very different value proposition from the one of Bitcoin uh, or Ethereum. Uh, the second piece is that in marketing itself as a cryptocurrency, Libra does hold the promise of bringing the term and the technology more into the mainstream, familiarizing people with the technology, at least the distributed ledger technology, which is something that will be part uh, of Libra, even though the ledger won't be accessible to anyone and everyone in terms of changing data on the ledger. Um, but from the perspective of how the technology works, Bitcoin is designed not to be managed by anybody. The reason it cannot process a very large number of transactions, or it can process a large uh, dollar volume of transactions, um, is that you have to expend a lot of electricity to validate transactions because that's the only way you can discourage people from defrauding the system. Ethereum works in a similar way. Uh, as we mentioned, Libra is more centralized. There are gatekeepers. There are people who will be checking the ledger, who will be uh, making sure that there's no fraud going on, that lowers the computing power requirements of Libra. But it means that we don't have open access and uh, uh, the, the absence of censorship that uh, cryptocurrency networks commonly understood uh, deliver. So in terms of the implications for Bitcoin or Ethereum, I think the potential adoption is much greater for Libra just because of the nature of the participants and the nature of the network as it is now. But the 
the long-term potential of the technology, the radical departure from existing uh, ways of doing things is much greater for Bitcoin or Ethereum. And you know, the fact that we've had Bitcoin for 10 years now, and even though it hasn't become a generally accepted medium of exchange, but it has stayed and increased its adoption over time, suggests that this is technology that attracts people. So uh, there are trade-offs then uh, among different kinds of cryptocurrencies, whether it is more in line as a as a banking and payment innovation versus a traditional cryptocurrency and it's nice to be able to say traditional cryptocurrency um but is there somewhere in between that is to say where there is less mediation but a dramatically higher volume of payments that where maybe it's not as controlled by some large tech firms it's pegged to some floating price that uh is relatively stable Good question. And I think some participants in Libra would tell you that's what Libra aims to do. There's this other initiative called Ripple, which is also focused on international payments that tries to do a similar thing. And um, if I had to put cryptocurrencies and then Libra and Ripple and then national currencies on a spectrum, Libra and Ripple would be somewhere in the middle for sure. The idea for both is that you have some degree of central management um, to reduce the electricity and other power requirements of the network in terms of validating transactions. Somebody ensures that the people in charge of putting things on the ledger are trustworthy people doing the right thing. And instead of doing so by creating economic incentives that drive them to do what's appropriate, and that consumes a lot of resources, you just have somebody who is somewhat in charge. It's probably not as centralized as someone entirely in control of a ledger that is private, as in the case of central banks, um, but it is uh, less um, subject to open access than, than Bitcoin or Ethereum. Again, the extent to which that um, system is stable, that level of management is stable, is, is an open question. Libra's proponents say they want to decentralize fully eventually, but they haven't explained quite how and how you would retain the viability of the system and the cheapness of processing low dollar transactions, particularly without that central management. And I think that's a key question if what you care about is governance and the potential for uh, intermediaries to abuse their power. There are millions of people who pay very close attention to uh, credit card points, to airline miles things that can be immediately devalued at any moment. It's, it's, it's in the fine print, sir. You should have read the fine print. Um, and, and people use that like currency when it comes to paying for travel, when it comes to paying for uh, you know, all manner of things. With respect to Libra, is there some sort of assurance that potential users could have that uh, this new currency, either crypto or not, is going to be highly stable. There is no, obviously the currency hasn't even launched yet. <laughs> so we don't know what the actual contractual or even sort of the business structure of the network will actually look like. However, my expectation is that departures from the proposed um, operating scheme of, of Libra will be minimal because that would significantly reduce trust in the network. Right now, the way it will happen, as far as we know from what Facebook and its partners have released, is that for every unit of Libra that is issued, 
there will be an equivalent amount in several different relatively stable currencies. I assume probably the US dollar, the euro, the yen, pound sterling, the Swiss franc, as well as short-term government securities from reliable jurisdictions, again, the United States and Europe primarily. And uh, the idea is that you will be uh, able to exchange uh, Libra for national currencies at fluctuating exchange rates, but exchange rates that will not fluctuate very much because the basket will stay relatively stable. Now imagine that Libra decided to issue more Libra than it holds in bank deposits and short-term government bonds in a bid to uh, make a cutout of that. If, if First of all, they would have to announce it. And if they did, people might begin to lose confidence in the ability for the currency to preserve its value. Uh, you were making the analogy to airline and, and other credit card rewards earlier. And yes, uh, those can be instantly devalued, and they, and they are periodically. Uh, but people get really annoyed when they are devalued. And in fact, when you talk about rewards programs to people, uh, there is quite a bit of customer awareness as to which rewards programs are desirable and stable and good, and which ones are useless or you know you should probably not uh, bank very much on on keeping them uh, on 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 keeping the value that you think you earned. Diego Zuluaga is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>